Hello friends, it's Jim Nance and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Beyond the Clubhouse, a podcast hosted by my friend Garrett Johnston. He is a testament to one of the great things about this sport, the friendships that come from playing or even just talking about the game. And you're going to meet some of the characters that Garrett has gotten to know from this past decade plus that he's been covering the sport. You're going to hear from players, caddies, members of the media. You're going to get the storytelling, the golf news, the players' swing tips, and a whole lot of laughs. It's coming your way with this edition of Beyond the Clubhouse. Here's Garrett. All right, Jim Nance, thanks for the introduction. we got the second podcast of the week, and this is John Wood, a special appearance, the caddy, former caddy for 24 years on the PGA Tour, but now we hear him and see him on NBC Sports and Golf Channel. He's a, a, a walking reporter, a on-course reporter for them. Uh, great conversation with him. He was actually with John Rahm's final group there, not the final group, but with John Rahm's group on Sunday. What an opportunity to see one of the great displays of golf in the U.S. Open. So we're going to get straight to the insights from John Wood. Uh, right before that, EncoreGolf.com. Check them out. They've got the Vero X1 golf ball. I've been using it, and I've gained 10, 12 yards off the tee. It's been a game changer. It leverages unique perimeter weighted technology and maximizes the moment of inertia it's what you're looking for 10 percent off if you use my promo code b the letter b clubhouse on encoregolf.com they're all over social media as well at encore golf let's get to it john wood former caddy turned on course reporter on beyond the clubhouse Well, my next guest here is Caddy John Wood. He was a pro caddy for 24 years on the PGA Tour, started with Kevin Sutherland, and now he's actually calling the action for NBC and Golf Channel, and you heard him on Sunday. He was with John Rom's group. John, what's going on? How are you? Uh, not much, Garrett. How are you? I'm doing great. Awesome stuff. No, I'm great, man. Uh, hey, so overall, like I know we'll get into Rom in a minute, but just overall takeaways for you from, from your first U.S. Open for NBC. Uh, it was fantastic. I, I mean, uh, it was one of those weeks where everybody, top to bottom, I, I've never heard so much praise for a golf course setup, especially for a U.S. Open, uh, as I did for this one. Usually you get, the, you know, a handful of players talking about how, you know, it's too long or the rough's too severe or, the, or they, they crossed the line here. But um, I think the USGA did an amazing job setting Torrey Pines up. And, uh, you know, you saw it, the, the scoring was good but not ridiculous. Um Nobody got embarrassed. On the other hand, and um, I just thought they did a heck of a job, and it was a, another, a second phenomenal U.S. Open at, at Torrey Pines. Well, no, I, I definitely agree. It was, um, I mean, obviously, 2008 was unforgettable, but really to have Rom win the way he did, considering no Tiger in the field, you had just a huge alpha get it done. Um, what images, I guess, will stick with you? Do you think, John, from this one? You know. To me, it, it, I've never seen any tournament anywhere go from um, it looking like there was 10 or 11 guys in the middle of the day on Sunday who had a legitimate <laughs> yeah. chance to, uh, to, I mean, within it felt like within an hour, it was down to two. And I've never seen so many guys fall away like they did uh, on Sunday from, you know, and, and like you said, alphas, you know guys who have been there guys who have gotten it done before on the biggest stages uh, so many just fell away in the middle of sunday and, and left it basically to uh to louis and rom to, to finish it out yeah you think of brooks and rory and a lot of those guys right out there bryson think about bryson was going for two in a row and he was actually the solo leader at one point making the turn it looks like 
I was watching the board, obviously following Ron through, but watching the board and thinking, wow, it, it, it Bryson's strategy may pay off again. And if, if that kind of strategy pays off two years in a row at a U.S. Open, <laughs> I, I think a lot of people are going to have to look themselves in the mirror and decide where they want to go forward in their game. For sure, man, for sure. Well, hey, so listen, you're with John Rahm. What stood out on that Sunday for you, uh, walking with, with Rahm and, and, and his caddy, Adam? Uh, just he was in such amazing control of his game, uh, both his motions and his physical, you know, the physical part of the game. One of the knocks on John early on was the he did have a temper and then he, he let things get to him a little bit. Uh, it was fascinating to, to watch, uh, you know, the maturation process process come to fruition yesterday he was so in control and so calm and um you know u.s opens are in the end about hitting fairways and making putts and and um he illustrated at the end you know i lost i was i was talking on the air a little bit about the last 12 holes when everybody else was falling away um john just kept giving himself look after look after look he was just not in much trouble um in you know you, you never expect to make those last two putts but he had been, given himself so many looks that i felt like the odds were in his favor uh, on 17 i really felt like he was going to make that one i didn't have a feeling on 18 but on 17 i just felt like the odds are he, one of these has to go in um but yeah he was, and he was just in control of everything and that's what you like to see at the u.s open um, you know, putting up scores, but putting them up without stress is the huge key. So um, that's that's what I took most from Sunday. For sure. Well, you talked about his putts there on 17 and 18, uh, the, and you tweeted about them, said the last two putts would have gone in a thimble. I mean, describe that for us. You know, I was standing right down his line on 17, and he hit a heck of a fairway bunker shot to, to get the ball where he was. Um, but I was standing right down his line, and, and you could see it's got some pretty good break to it. Um, but he never looked, in the moment will never look too big for, for him. He looked, you know, like he went through his normal routine. He and Adam talked out every shot, talked over putts. And, um, you know, he never looked like, you can see, you can almost see some guys' brains and minds, like, working too fast in those occasions. And he never looked like that at all. And uh, watching down the line, when, when he set over up on 17, I just said, you know, I know it's got some break, it's got a good move to it, but I really feel like he's going to make this one. And, and it got about two feet from the hole, and you're going, that can't miss at all. And then uh, the one on 18, boy, oh, boy, what, what a way to finish. I'm sure he was very upset with himself for hitting that four iron where he hit it because, um, you know, you know, over the green or left or, you know, much easier up and down. Uh, but to get that ball up and down from that short-sighted, bunker was just a phenomenal way to close it out when you talk about 18 that last hole what were the what was the vibe the electricity like with the fans as that putt went in oh it was you know we've had fans back for a little while now but that was the loudest sound i've heard on a golf course for for well over a year um you could everybody was was on pins and needles and you kind of felt like um, you know at that point i'm trying to figure out the timing louis Louis had already driven it in the, in the penalty area on 17, but John John certainly didn't know that, and and I think uh, I don't think the fans knew that either. So at that point, you're thinking, okay, he, he's going to need this because Louis probably going to come to come to 18 and make a birdie as well. So he's probably going to need this, you know, maybe to win, but but maybe for a tie as well. Uh, but you know, when that went in, uh, the crowd just just erupted, and um, 
obviously the emotion, emotions poured out of John and, uh, and Adam. And, and um, I think they both, uh, well, well, John at least, it, it's got to be the greatest first Father's Day of all time, I would say. <laughs> it's got to be, for sure. Well, listen, you're such a great storyteller, Woody. What What's a story that comes from, from being walking in that last group at the ROM on Sunday? You know, I think... Um, the job Adam Hayes did to me was, um, you know, go, goes underappreciated. I think Hayes, Adam, over the years since he's been with John, um, has been instrumental in really letting, showing John how to mature out there. Um, Adam is just is such a good caddy. He's so smart. Um, but the biggest thing to me, he's so confident and so calm, and that's what a player looks for. I think to 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 real be able to trust a caddy out there. And and there were there were a few times out there. Um, 12 was one and um, 17 was another one where they were kind of talking over shots and I love one thing for me as an ex-caddy when a, when a player asks a caddy a question uh, a key to me is if the, the caddy has to take his yardage book out or not and if he does um, you know it's not a bad thing you're double checking but if he doesn't um, and Adam didn't. He didn't have to take his book out. He was prepared for the questions John was going to ask and, you know, immediately gave him a confident answer in a calm way. Um, and I think that gives your player a lot of confidence um, in the, that the shot you've chosen is correct, that you trust your caddy, that you've made the right decision. And once you get over the shot and you know you've made the right decision, it makes it a lot easier to hit the shot. So I can't give Adam enough praise for the job he did yesterday. It was... Um, it was it was fantastic, and I was so happy for him. He deserves it. Oh, absolutely amazing! Well, you mentioned twelve and seventeen, so this was uh, standing over the second shots that they were doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, both uh, both in fairway bunkers, uh, and and the one on twelve was an extremely different, difficult shot. I'm not sure. I'm not sure he could um, he could get the ball to the green because he it was a, taking a risk trying to get it to the green because he had a fairly decent sized lip in front of him. But I, I overheard him ask Adam, you know, uh, they were talking about two clubs. One they knew would get out of the bunker but wouldn't get to the green. And one that if he caught it clean and got it out without hitting the lip would probably get to the green. And he, he happened to ask Adam um, something about the other club. Would this one reach? And Adam immediately said, no, it won't reach. It'll be short. Uh, if you want to get to the green, you need to hit this one. And he, and he hit the six and, and uh, unbelievable shot and, and two putts for an easy par from a difficult spot. So I think those kind of situations to me are, are uh, very, to me, praiseworthy for the job a caddy does. Yeah, so then in the end, it was, um, you know, it was Adam that helped kind of lean him towards the six iron there, huh? Absolutely, yeah. He, you know, he gave him the choices. Uh, I think that's, a, that's you, can, you can give him advice, but the, uh, um, a caddy's real importance there is to give him the choices um, and ultimately it's the player's decision. You know, Adam was very clear. The other one will not reach the green. This one will if you want to take the risk, go ahead. And, and if, if, you know, if Adam had really felt it was a huge risk, I'm sure he would have stepped in and said it's not worth it at this point. But, um, you know, hitting a, hitting a club that would have come up short on 12 would have been a very difficult up and down. Um, and so John, you know, he's, he has such a high ball flight and he's great out of fairway bunkers, decided to take on that shot. And, uh, you know, obviously it paid out, paid off. Mm. We talk about that interaction there on 12. What about on 18 as they were setting up uh, that shot that got them basically to have that birdie look? Anything kind of stand out for you in that moment? You know, they had a little bit of a wait. Um, Matthew Wolf had to had to lay up over on the left, and the, and the, 
the group in front of them was finishing out. So, you know, he hit a perfect drive, obviously. And, um, you know, I watched Adam get the number, and, and the, it was an easy decision for him. It was, it, it, I could hear them both say perfect four iron right away. Um, so that's fantastic that there's no, you know, no competing thoughts there. You know what you want to do with the shot. Um, sometimes it's tough when you, you pick a club that early in the pre-shot routine. you got to wait it out because your mind has time to sit there and think, gosh, can I get five there? Or should I should I hit three and make sure I get it over the bunker or the, the penalty area? Um, but they just stuck with it the whole time and, and didn't really talk much, you know, before the shot. And then um, I, he flushed the shot. I think they were both thrilled with the contact. Uh, but the way John cut it a little bit, and there was a left-to-right wind, and it just took the ball, you know, an extra 15 feet. Uh, otherwise, it would have been, you know, on the backside of the green. But, um, no, there wasn't too much interaction on that shot, um, but um, there wasn't nerves either. It was just it's a perfect club. We know it, and there's no reason to talk anymore about it. So that's, that's what I saw in 18. Absolutely. Yeah, well, a fellow caddy, uh, if I get his name, uh, pronounce his name right, John Rathaus on Twitter uh, he asked me to ask you this. What was it like witnessing a peer and a friend help his player win on Sunday? Uh, it's, it's you know, I have so many, so I'm so grateful to have maintained so many great friendships out here with players and caddies, coaches, you know, everybody. And um, to watch, um, watch Adam get it done with his player yesterday, um, Adam's one of the guys I think where it, it means as much to him as it does to John. And I think that's a uh, high praise for a caddy, not, not to knock this, but a lot of caddies, you know, it is a job. It's just a job. And, and that's a, that's no, no wrong way to go about it. But um, I know that to get that flag, take that flag stick home for Adam meant as much to him as the trophy for John. So, um, you know, those those caddies who it means a lot to, and, and, and Adam shed some tears as soon as they found out they won. Um, I, I, I think a lot of those guys, and Adam's definitely one of them. Mm. Well, they have such a unique partnership, such a strong team. And, of course, Adam was on the LPGA Tour for many years, and, and, and they came over to the PGA Tour. But, like, what is, um, you know, another thing John asked me to ask you was um, your observations of their unique partnership. Yeah, you know, um, I went on uh, live from yesterday from the, or, or from, from San Diego, and they, they asked that. And I said, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes an, an intergenerational partnership like that, where John is much younger, Adam's older, has got a lot of experience, has been out there, uh, similar to uh, Jimmy Johnson and Justin Thomas. You know, they're, they're, they're different generations. Right. Um, sometimes that it doesn't work out so well because you don't have – common things to talk about other than the golf you know and, and you've got to have other things to talk about and those two partnerships i think have have blossomed in that um there's still a friendship there they're not so far apart in age that they can't relate to one another uh, but there is so much experience there that they uh, you know adam and, and jimmy they've both been through everything so no no situation phases them so so uh, those those intergenerational partnerships and a caddy player i love watching them and uh, those are those two work perfectly <laughs> yeah for sure man well hey listen another thing that happened at tory finds you were out there uh, covering wilco ninabar and you're a huge uh, music fan wilco of course the the group uh you try to get in as many uh wilco references as you could uh, what was that like for you <laughs> it was, you know I, I got the assignment and i go well you know 
I can probably some of them fit so naturally it, it didn't even seem like I was forced at anything. So uh, <laughs> it was it was just a fun little aside to uh, to try and sneak in a few of those song titles in, and I, and I got a few of them in on the holes I was covering. Uh, Wilco, Nienaber, and uh, it was just a, a fun little side for the uh, the inside music fans. And I you know I I actually put it on on Twitter, and I I figured I'd get. 10 or 12 likes of people who knew who Wilco was, but uh, ended up taking uh, a life of its own. So uh, it was kind of a cool thing. Yeah, definitely gone pretty viral at this point. Uh, well, overall, though, the, over, the transition uh, for you, I know that you're still available for caddying here and there, but, but the transition into On Course Reporter, how, how do you feel that's been going for you? Uh, fantastic. The, the team is so great to work with from the top, from Tommy Roy and Tom Randolph. Um, you know, to the, the announcers who are much more experienced than I do, um, you know, Nick Faldo and Paul Azinger, Justin Leonard, um, Terry Gannon, Dan Hicks, Bones, Noda, everybody's been, Roger Maltby, obviously, everybody's been so helpful, and it's a real team atmosphere, and everybody, you know, everybody wants their reps, obviously, you want to get on the air as much as you can, because I think everybody has interesting things to say, but everybody kind of... Um, you know, puts their ego aside, and, and, and it's for the telecast. If I need to shut up here, and that's going to make the telecast better, then that's what I'm going to do. And uh, it's it's great learning from those guys and knowing that at the end of the day, it's a team effort, and if everybody just does their one job um, and not try and do too much, um, I think that's it comes out great, and, and hopefully it, it comes across on the telecast. But I've been having a great time with these guys. Oh, that's totally totally comes out in in the telegas that you're having a great time. Uh, I think about Bones, one of your best friends. Has there been much advice from Bones or from others close to you here in the transition? You know, not so much. The only real advice I've gotten, um, you know, from Noda and, and from others was to be myself. I think um, if, if I listen to other guys too much, I think you know, I'm, I, I you don't want to sound too much like somebody else. They, I. You know, the best information I got was from Noda, actually. Noda said, look, they hired you because you're you, not because you can sound like somebody else. So, you know, come up with your own takes, say them like you would want to say them, and just go with it. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, you know, maybe then you can adjust. But, um, you know, Noda, Noda was instrumental in that, just saying, be yourself, you know, talk like you would as a caddy. Don't try and sugarcoat things. Don't try and, um, you know, be just a talking head and, and spout cliches out there. Talk like you would to your player, and um, that's been the best bit of advice for me. And what's your schedule looking like here going ahead? Uh, a couple weeks off, and uh, I think Bones and I are the only two actually going on site for the Open Championship uh, with all the restrictions they have. I think most of the work uh, production-wise can be done from here in the States. Um, so I'll do uh, the Open Championship, and I was supposed to do the American Century up in Tahoe, but I'm not doing that now. Uh, so I'll do the Open Championship, and then um, I think a couple, another week or two off, and then we'll do all the playoffs in the Ryder Cup. Man, anytime I think about the Open Championship, I remember seeing you there in 2017 and just how close you guys were. What, what really kind of is your takeaway from that close call you had there at, at Burkdale? Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. That one, that one's gonna sting forever for sure. It's, uh, you know, I'm not like I'm, I'm pining over it now and in pain or anything, but it definitely <laughs> still stings a little bit. You felt like, um, especially for Matt, who you know has had such a great career, and, and the one missing, you know, missing puzzle piece was that major championship, and um, you know, he really did everything. 
you need to do to win a major that week. And I felt like, um, you know, Jordan, after Jordan's, uh, you know, tough hole on 13, we had the lead um, for the first time all day, all week. And, you know, and then I think Matt Birdie two out of the next four, and we found ourselves behind. So it was a... Uh, it was a tough, tough pill to swallow because Matt really played well. It was just Jordan. Jordan, you know, Jordan did Jordan things. <laughs> Those last five holes, five, six holes. So um, nothing you can do about it. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it was a great experience. I wouldn't trade the experience for anything. Mm. Well, what's your favorite part about being over there for the Open Championship? Fish and chips. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> I like it over there. I, I love the golf. It's a, it's a completely different style of golf. You've got to take so many other factors into account when when talking about a shot or making a decision, um, be it the, the strong winds or how much more you have to play golf along the ground there um, and how much you have to account for the ball rolling. Um, I, I love the different decisions, and I, I love the fact that, um, you know, I think fans all over are phenomenal, but I, I love the fact that over there, when you hit a five iron to, you know, 30 feet, they know that that's a pretty good shot, and they, they let you know. So uh, the fans over there are very knowledgeable, and uh, it's just a fun change-up for the year, to be honest with you, to go over there and, and hopefully get in some cool weather and, and uh, deal with some weather issues. And uh, But honestly, the, the fish and chips are, over there are, are, I don't know why, but they're just better. <laughs> <laughs> Authentic. Uh, but, hey, I'll, I'll wrap up here with a little bit about team events and then Sacramento golf because I know you're a Sacramento guy. Um, share with us just how much the Ryder Cup means to you. And, and I know that you've had a chance to win there, uh, but you play a lot of baseball growing up. You've been around team sports, but what what has it really meant to you? Yeah, it's my it's my favorite event, always will be. Um, you know, my goal is that when I started was, you know, hoping somehow I would get to work one Ryder Cup. And, and uh, you know, I've now been a part of seven of them. And, um, it's, you, you work all year long and, you know, you have your friends and your buddies out there, but, but really it's an individual sport. It's you and your player once you get inside the ropes and nobody else is really rooting for you. Um, you know, they're not rooting against you, but they're not rooting for you. So to get into a week like that where you're in those team rooms and you've got, you know, 11 other caddies, 11 other players, uh, the assistants, the captains, the wives, um, everybody in the same room pulling on the same rope and, and you, you just don't get that feeling. And, and if you grew up playing team sports, it's, it's so fun. You, you hear guys like Phil and Tiger who really didn't play a lot of team sports growing up, you know, telling how much, saying how much those weeks mean to them. Um, and at the end of their careers, you know, obviously the majors are great, but I think a lot of their best memories will be the team events because you get to share so much with your peers and your friends. And uh, it's, not, it's not something you get to do the rest of the year. Um, so that that would be a big challenge for me, not uh, being being partisan towards the USA, but uh, I'm sure I can I'm sure I can handle it that week. <laughs> of course, man. Well, 2008 was that first win that you got on the Ryder Cup team there at Valhalla. How special was that? Uh, it was top five top five moments of my career for sure. Um, Captain Azinger was so incredible that week, and really was the first one to come in and, and change things up and say we need a plan. Um, he came up with this pod system that is still pretty much in use on all the team events now, Presidents Cups and Ryder Cups. Um, and the team was was so young and so fresh. I think we had five five or six rookies, maybe, um, but none of them were awed by the event. They were all you know ready to go. Um, especially Anthony Kim and Hunter, I felt like those two really stood out amongst the rookies. But um, yeah, it was uh, 
hard to describe. And if, if, if you're a fan and um, you've got a, a bucket list, uh, a Ryder Cup should be on it because there's really it's like it's like a college football game is broken out at a golf tournament. <laughs> right. Well, I'm going to wrap up here. Sacramento Golf Course. I'm from Sacramento. You're from Sacramento. And there's so much variety there. Think about the courses there. You've got the Valley Courses there, City Courses, Hagen Oaks, uh, Auburn, Folsom. There's some great options. But for you, like, what's been the best golf experience or story at a Sacramento Golf Course? That's a, that's a great question. You know, to be perfectly honest with you, Garrett, I don't play a whole lot of golf these days. Uh, I get time off, and I don't want to be on a golf course. I'm kind of the opposite of everybody else. So, um, but growing up, uh, most of my time was spent at Hagen Oaks, and I had a great group of friends that, you know, we went to Jesuit High School together and, and played on the team there. And, and we were, you just I just remember being out there in the summertime, you know, 6 a.m. to 8.30 at p.m. every every day. Yeah. You know, you'd play, you'd practice, you'd have lunch, you'd have putting contests and chipping contests. And, uh, you know, buddies like uh, Jeff Griffin and Kevin Carissimi and, Chris Griggs and Todd Spain, guys I grew up playing golf with. Uh, a lot of my best memories are, are from those times and how much fun we had, you know, doing that. Yeah, no, and then the thing about Hagen is it's open so late now. Like, that the lights are open to like 11 midnight. It's crazy. <laughs> There's just a huge appetite for golf in Sacramento. It is. Good stuff, John. Well, hey, thanks for joining me. And listen, you can follow John on Twitter at John Wood, W O U L D, and check out some of the stuff he's doing. British Open coming up next month as well. John, great to catch up with you, buddy. Thanks for having me, Garrett. I appreciate it. All right, big thank you to John Wood for coming on the podcast. That was his first U.S. Open working inside the ropes uh, there, on-course reporter for NBC and Golf Channel. So pretty cool to see what he was able to do. And, hey, he <laughs> got the lottery, struck the lottery, struck it rich, and he was with the winner in the end with John Rahm's group. So very cool insight on John and also on his caddy, Adam Hayes. Love that. Uh, we'll get to more content here coming up here on Beyond the Clubhouse. We'll talk to you again soon.